0: Searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike back from Pitch Please. Today, I'm here with David from Momento. I'm excited to talk about all the things that you guys are doing. I'm probably going to learn a bunch because I use your product, but it's been like two or three weeks since I've had a chance to go back and do some things in there. So I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot of new things today based on the speed you guys are moving at. David, maybe we just start with a quick introduction on what your role is at Momento. And then we'll spend a little time learning about you and your journey to where you are today.
1: Yeah. I'm the co-founder of Momento along with my brother, Daniel. We actually both studied at the University of Waterloo. I studied computer science, business, and psychology, and he studied mechatronics. I've been a computer geek my whole life. In the second grade, I would bring computer parts to school and we'd dissect them with my friends. In the fifth grade, I started building websites for small businesses. And then in the seventh grade, I had a teacher and he asked me, it's like, What do you want to do in your club? I said, I want to work at Google. He said, son, no. You should start your own business. I was like, okay. (laughs) So then moving it forward in a few years, around 12th grade, I did start my first business. We were building software for Ontario family health teams, mainly to help them manage their metrics and goals. I did build some software for the Christian space, helping make all the texts in the Christian world more accessible to the average reader. And then going through school... I interned at a bunch of places. I worked as a software engineer. I did end up working at Google for an internship, thankfully. I worked at PlayStation as well and a few other companies. And coming out of school, my brother and I really started to get excited about the video and podcast space. We were talking to a bunch of our friends. We'd be telling them about great podcasts, and they'd have no idea what those were about. And when we started getting closer to the creators, we realized that by the time they're done ideating, recording, editing, publishing their content. They don't have any time to do the growth. But in contrast, take an example from Hollywood. They spend as much money promoting the movie as they do producing the movie. So there's this huge gap for creators and our world today. is So dominated by content, it's like, well, if we could help creators speed up that growth process, give them tools, Hey, maybe an AI assistant, we could help get a lot more great content to reach these great audiences.
0: That's amazing, I want to learn a bunch more of your background, so maybe let's dial it right back. so you said high school, and up until grade eleven grade twelve, roughly you were saying, you know you had this dream by the way, I, you know, I work at Microsoft, so I guess we're going to talk Google for a bit, but it's cool. You had this dream of working at Google, you were like a huge like tech buff, but before that, generally you'd never considered entrepreneurship, like that moment in grade 11, grade 12, where your your teacher sort of said, listen, David, you will become wise one day, and this is not your destiny. Before that, you never thought you'd be an no, entrepreneur. No,
1: I really just loved computers. I was, I loved tinkering with them. I was just amazed by what they could do. And even now, I don't think starting a business was ever the thing I was inspired to do. I just wanted to build stuff that people loved. I wanted to build something that When someone uses it for the first time, their eyes light up, they have a sigh of relief, they're excited. And when I grew up and became a bit older, that's when I realized that you also need to pay the bills. And things things that also make people excited and give them a sigh of relief are things that also make a lot of money. So you realize that there's an intersection between entrepreneurship and building things that people love. In some way, it's kind of like the Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak mesh, right? They both want to create things people love. Waz liked to do it from the technical perspective. Steve Jobs really cared about the user and how they feel. And those two things together create a business.
0: I love it. So I think what also is super cool is you've had experiences leading up to your time being an entrepreneur that took you through some highly reputable and amazing companies building products people love. Can you tell me what your favorite one was? So like, I, actually, maybe just list a couple of them again for people. And then the, let's just tell me what your favorite one was and
1: yeah. why. So I worked at a few different, start, different companies as an intern. Some small ones like Frank and Oak, a clothing company based in Montreal. And another small one called Chalk, an education company in Waterloo. And then some big ones like Google, PlayStation, Yelp. I think my favorites were Yelp and Chalk. So Yelp, one of the larger ones. I was a product manager there working on the search team. We were responsible for helping users find what they are looking for, whether it was a taco shop or a place to fix their phone. So that was a lot of fun because it's a main entry point to the site. Yelp was a, in its heyday back in like 2016. People were using it to find whatever they were looking for. That was
0: just a great time. Had a large team. And before that, there was that thing called like the white pages <laughs> or yellow pages, yeah, right? There, there, back was then, there's also like Foursquare.
1: People used to use stuff like that. Right <laughs> Chalk, which probably no one's really heard of, and the smallest company I worked at, I got... A... Like
0: how, like how like small? 20 people. 20 people. Okay. So like pre-seed.
1: Yeah. They were just taking off. They were building software for teachers to help them do lesson planning, attendance, grading, etc. And I had a cool role there where I was half product, half engineering. So I'd work with the team to define roadmap and shape the future of what we build for students and teachers. But then I also built a lot of cool stuff there. And a lot of the engineering skills that I gained was from the mentorship I got at Chalk. So I came out of that startup with an appreciation for a small company for with great engineering skills and with product skills that have now helped me in a lot of my journey. So I really look back on that job as a really fortunate one to have.
0: And so do you think it was like the, you know, you learned probably a lot of an approach from some of those bigger mm-hmm. places, but it was like the rolling up your sleeves And not having anyone to do all of the things. Like, you have to pick up way more in these really small companies and work alongside people just figuring things out. Do you think, like, that's what was so transformative for you is like running in the trenches with the other small team at Chalk, really learning from the ground, or was it something else? Yeah, I think
1: that's a big part of it. I think when I tell people about the difference between working at a startup and working at a larger company, I think the difference is that each person has a much, Larger amount of responsibility. And the impact of every person's work, the impact of every hour everyone spends at the company is so much more impactful on the final trajectory. In a large company, you can make mistakes, you can do something, you can do nothing, you can do a lot of things, but the end outcome can sometimes not be as significant. But in a startup, the weight is really heavy on every single person. So you feel that the smaller and smaller it gets. And definitely, You know, our team now is sub-10 people. I definitely feel like every decision I make now makes a difference.
0: That's amazing. And so you're working with your brother, you said. A younger brother, older brother. He's two years younger. And is he also technical in nature? Are you both like two doubly technical co-founders? How did that work out? And what's it like working with your brother? (laughs) It's okay. He doesn't have to listen to the podcast. Let's be honest. I'll, I'll be the first
1: to say he's the smarter of the two. He studied mechatronics. I did computer science. So we're both technical, but he's just got this incredible aptitude to crunch down really hard problems and solve them really effectively. He's also the kind of person who can be lazy in a way that he wants to get things done fast. So he's the kind of person who wanted to get his homework done to play games, which we always told him as a kid that, hey, it's going to hurt you in the future. But it turns out it made him really effective at solving problems. He just knows like, what do I need to do to get this problem solved so I can go on and do what I want to do? It's pretty cool working with him. He's super smart. He has an insane velocity. He manages all of our backend and infrastructure. He was previously working at Tesla, managing all of the audio video data that came from all the cars so that they could do all the legal work for that. And then he was working at a startup that did a bunch of cloud stuff. So I can say many good things about him and I'm not saying all the bad things, but many good things about him. Working together has been exciting. I think working with your brother means the... Uh, co- the understanding and the flow is very high. You really get what you're doing and where you want to go. You're able to disagree and then move on from the disagreement because it's really just like, what are we talking about? Let's work. Let's get over with yeah. this. And then it's fun, right? It's like someone you've known your whole life and you understand each other's quirks. So it's kind of unique to get to start a company with somebody you know so well.
0: It's cool. There's like a few that I've recorded and a few coming up and there's like a lot of like family businesses that are also startups and super cool you talked about you know the the trust and the communication being really good parts and some of the fun that you're able to have with someone so close to you what are some of the things that you'd say are like harder or considerations you know for people that maybe do have like that trust and you know love for their family and have thought about it or always bounce ideas together there's definitely going to be Challenging days, I'm sure. But, like, what would you say is like the hardest part or like the advice you'd share on something like that? I'd say two things.
1: One, it becomes much harder to separate personal life and work when you work with someone, you work with your family. So, trying to create those distinctions. I know I have a friend who started a company with a close friend, not family, but he actually had this orange vest that you had to wear after work hours if you wanted to talk about work. So, he kind of tries to create this distinction between personal life and life.
0: Like, so there's like an awkward moment. So if you want to talk about work outside of work, you have to make it really awkward and be very clear for that period of time. Exactly. (laughs) I like that. And I think
1: the other thing is some of the things you'll take for granted at a a company will fall away when you're working with family. So like formalities and certain ways you write emails and stuff like that. And that's great early on. But then as the company grows, you're going to have to rebuild those things and when you have this like casual friendly environment Mm. you might have this transition period going from working with someone you know really well to now actually having to build a real company with infrastructure that can support a team and a goal you're trying to achieve.
0: that's special i love it man both has he always been entrepreneurial too or did he have like the same teacher in business school in grade 11 that sat him down and like (laughs) listen i talked to your brother two years ago i'm gonna talk to you now like, What was his like, path?
1: I think back, he initially actually didn't want to go into engineering. He was going to go into finance and business. Okay. He thought he was he's great at math. That's
0: a Yeah, he's it. great at
1: math. And he's like, yeah, I don't really care about engineering. But then he, he's like, wait, I'm so good at math. I feel like I should go into engineering just not to waste it. So he just pivoted into engineering for that purpose. But he's done some pretty entrepreneurial things. Like back in high school, him and his friends started a business selling backpacks and they would sell branded backpacks to high schools, and they'd print them and make a profit all of them. During COVID, he started an app that helps do queuing. You know, There's a few apps that came up at that time helping you queue for the gym and sign up and slots and all that kind of stuff. And then we actually did a startup together in college, and it was called Mingo. It, you might be able to find it online. It existed for a few months. We went into Waterloo's Velocity Accelerator. We were competing for their fund, and it was a virtual reality headset for patients at the dentist so they could be entertained while they're in operations. We just thought it's really boring sitting at the dentist. So you could put this VR headset on and you could watch movies and play games and do a bunch of stuff. We made it through a few rounds of the competition. Ultimately, it's really hard to build hardware, especially hardware for the medical space. So we didn't continue on it. But that was our first experience working together.
0: I can empathize. I led HoloLens and mixed reality uh, for Microsoft here in Canada for about three years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And like one of the areas where you saw so much ideation, I will call it, and energy was around healthcare solutions. But the challenges of making yeah. it work were definitely, you know, like how do you create it to be scalable? What do you do with the hardware? How do you make sure it's like cleaned between patients? How limited ability to drive instruction because there's sometimes low familiarity. Definitely, a whole bunch of especially. It sounds like this is in Canada. A whole bunch of other layers of challenges to get in to create solutions like this in the public care system. So, uh, you know what you learned. What would you say is like your biggest like takeaway from that that maybe you're still using today? That was the first
1: time I really cold called and walked into like dental offices trying to convince people to use us. I remember standing in front of the mirror and getting ready for my first conversation. (laughs) and getting my first few rejections. I I made my first phone call to a dental office saying, hey, we're a startup building this thing. Could we come show you and try it out? And they said no. And I remember being like, that was really hard. I don't even know if I could do it a second time. I just felt so defeated after my very first call. I I felt so defeated. And it's still one of the things, I'm more of a product design person. I'm not a salesperson, but as an entrepreneur, you're forced to become a salesperson. You're constantly selling your business, your team, You're selling to customers, selling to investors. So I think breaking that first wall, doing that with Mingo was probably something I still carry till today.
0: And just like getting used to the nose. Like the reality is, I think people in sales maybe even underestimate it. And there are people that deal with it every day. Like I, I think one of the most special jobs, I'll say jobs because like as an entrepreneur, you learn it. And there's a couple entrepreneurs and startups that we've had on here. And there's a couple examples that have been shared, whether that be like those college pro painter or something like it, or, you know, like a landscaping business, or what I would say is like a very common job, which is like a BDR or business development rep, like picking up the phone, knocking on a door and getting eight or nine out of 10 people saying no to you is so humbling and the journey of learning and your ability to figure out how to create connections very quickly and you know break from small talk into something more powerful is so special like I actually think it's like the most underestimated skill that you're not really taught in school like you sometimes you're taught like sales class like I've taken sales courses and it's like the art of the overall thing but no one teaches you that first I'm not even going to say minute because it's not even a minute before that door gets slammed in your face. Sometimes it's like that first thirty seconds of pitching someone something, and usually it's about building a connection before you can pitch them. That's I, I what you, that's a little secret, by the way. You're not if you start with pitching, you're definitely gonna get a door slammed. You gotta like build a connection, but it's such a special totally skill. Totally agree. Speaking of pitches. I want to learn more about Memento. Well, at least I know a little bit about Memento, but others definitely are going to want to learn more about Memento. So the name of the show is Pitch, Please. So David, your pitch, please.
1: Media has always been a driving force in society. And over the last hundred years, it's progressed from print to digital to now what we call content. And you know this, being a creator yourself, but there are tons of tools for creating content. But creators almost universally, from the smallest creators all the way to big, large media co's, they still struggle with the number one thing, which is reaching the audience. Why is that a challenge? It's really expensive. takes a lot of time, effort, and strategy to actually grow the content. As we were talking about earlier in the show, there's not enough time to create a bunch of content and then also distribute it. And in a world where content is not just something people create for fun. It pushes businesses forward. There's blogs, podcasts, video. There's just so much out there that people need to be successful with. There's a huge gap now where people are creating, but they're not growing. So we saw a need for an assistant or a creative AI assistant that can help humans create, ideate, and distribute their content. We'll use AI to analyze the audio, video, and text. And the goal is to understand what is the creator's goals. And then make it easy make it effortless to produce and distribute their content to achieve that goal and the vision is to create a suite of ai systems that can remove all the barriers between a creator's story and their audience
0: i like it now earlier in the podcast you talked about the fact that you know you sort of knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur after this teacher had talked to you you tried working in a bunch of places What was the spark that got you, or maybe it was your brother that kind of got the spark? What got the spark to get into this space for creators?
1: Yeah. I mean, although today we work with both video and audio, and we're not exclusive either, initially, we started with just podcasts, just like we're on right now. And it was going to person after person and telling them about great podcasts and them never having heard of it. And I'm not talking about small podcasts. Podcasts that have tens of thousands of listeners, some podcasts that maybe had millions of listeners, but you'd realize that people only listen to a few things. And it's kind of similar in the content in the video space as well. TikTok and Instagram and YouTube Shorts have changed that a little bit because of the way content can grow through these infinite feeds, which is exciting. But then other content, especially podcasts, text content, long form video, doesn't get the same kind of attention. And then realizing one, realizing it's a two-sided problem. The audience misses out on tons of great content and the creator is also frustrated. The creator wants their content to reach the audience and both people exist. There is an audience member out there who will love your show once, once they find it or love that article that's written. And there is a creator out there who would love to connect. So there you go. That's kind of the gap. And once we saw that and how painful both sides, how much pain both sides felt, we said, well, could we, could we bridge this gap? And it'd be really exciting if we could bridge it.
0: That's cool. So do you have like a lot of people that you know that are podcasters? Like it sounds like you started off mostly for podcasts and that's like how I found Memento. But do you have like a lot of friends or is it just you were listening to podcasts and talking like how did that insight come about that got you here? No,
1: honestly, I don't actually have a lot of friends who are podcasters nor even creators. I'm just a huge, well, both my brother and I, just huge content junkies. You know, when you listen to 30 plus podcasts on a monthly basis, get really exposed to a lot, of different, wow. a lot of different kinds of creators. And I mean, just like a lot of people in our generations, everyone's consuming tons and tons of content. I've always tended closer to content that's more educational, informative, not your typical viral content. Yeah, that stuff still gets attention, but just not as much as entertaining content does. So maybe I felt the affinity to those creators and that problem set more and that's when we motivated trying to build something for that kind of content. And now it's kind of scaled to any kind of content because the solution's pretty universally felt.
0: For sure. And so effectively you're solving for the problem of creating scale it's a scale approach to creating micro content, effectively, right? Is that sort of the the summation of at the end of the day what you're trying to sell for? Like creators have their long form content. I don't think you're I, unless, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not trying to help them change up how they build their long-form content,
1: So right? where we are today, yeah, are you? You Where we are today <laughs> is solving the present pain point. I think it's how startups and businesses come to be. There's a problem in the present that needs to be solved, that people have a pain they're willing to pay for, and they'd love to solve as soon as possible. And that problem today is a distribution problem. There's six or seven platforms you need to carry content on in different formats. There's copywriting involved. There's video editing involved. If you try to create short form video to distribute on these platforms that have billions of people on it, typically most people are limited to only creating one or two clips. You have to trim it, put it into a software, add captions, add images, render it, post it, you know the flow. So the present pain we do fix best is distributing and scaling video across many platforms. We also do that for text by helping create blog posts and articles and posts and thought leading our posts on LinkedIn, et cetera. But the future vision is to be an assistant for the whole workflow, which means helping you ideate for your next episode, helping you maybe write scripts for a TikTok or a video, helping you write chapters of a book, and you know, so you could take some of your content and push into another direction, and then maybe even helping you a little bit in the editing phase. But trying to go from the beginning, the pain points that are barriers to getting a story out there, they start all the way from ideation and they end with distribution. And I think the suite of AI assistants we're trying to build with Target, each step of the process to help make that easier.
0: So, you want to be co pilots for creators, is what you want. If to be
1: Adobe here. was the company in the digital media space, we want to be the company for the content era.
0: That's amazing. Well, I mean, I have to say two things. One is I'm trying to think back. I don't think you might be one of the first. Startups that I had on the podcast that I was using before we had you on the podcast. So I think that's actually pretty cool because I found you and it sounds like we were talking a little bit before the show. It must have been in the initial days or weeks. Like, I, I don't know how many users you had, but I, I'm going to like brag that I must have been at least one of the first thousand, hundred. I, I don't know, but you clearly were solving a pain point that I had and I discovered you, and it's actually like, I feel like maybe I'm talking to a celebrity, you know, it's like all this tool that I've been using for my own podcast, and I get to talk to, and many of the startups I bring on, I learn about what they're up to, and I, you know, many of them make their way into my life as well, but I think it's cool that this one started the other way around, and we're dialoguing over email about, uh, and not try not to make, it sound bad, but like, you know, in a new startup, there's moments of feedback and something wasn't working. And I'm very tolerant of those things. I get the startup journey. So I reached out and you and your brother both like instantly replied and were there and I loved it. And I was like, can I also just like get you guys on the podcast? I want to like learn more about this space. So you were clearly solving a pain point for creators. And at that time, my my pain point was I have long form content. I am not a I'm a really shitty creator. Like, I I like talking to people, but probably everything beyond that, I'm like really shitty at in terms of like the like world of social and creating. I, I think I have okay thoughts once in a while, but that's about it. And so I need help. I, I need help with editing. I need help with you know creating efficiencies on how do I take this content and break it up so people can discover it to eventually find their way to you know a thirty to forty five or sixty minute episode of mine. And that was the. Dumb question that I just started binging and Googling away at. And I found Memento, which I think is pretty cool. I think it's,
1: I think it's uh, honorable that you mentioned Bing in that, being at Microsoft.
0: But I also want to say
1: you're not a shitty creator. What I've learned, and I learned this from our head of partnerships and marketing, his name's Justin. He's a filmmaker. He used to work at Fox as a producer, Then he's an indie filmmaker now. And he always says people think creators love doing social and marketing they don't. They love creating. They have to do social and marketing, but they don't want to. But you're forced to because if you're a creator, you want to grow, but you want to create. And it's this catch-22 problem where you got to do both, but one of them impacts the other as well. It takes away time from creating. And if you're not good at the growing part, which hey, I'm, an, I'm a product design engineering guy, I'm not a marketing person. So even myself, I'm forced to figure out growth for my business. So I feel the pain almost double. For a creator, it's like, I know what you want to do is just create, but you're forced by nature of the industry and the market to do this work. And it's not what everyone's designed to do.
0: That's fair. Like, I just want to do this. I just want to, If it's funny. Like, everyone always asks me, like, what if you won the lottery? Like I told them, I'd still probably work where I work now. Actually, I love what I do and who I get to work with. I'd probably like scale back on time there. But I would do this. I would just talk to startups, I'd probably have to like, you know, frame it under something. I'd be a VC. I would be a VC. So I could just talk to startups all day, put a little money into some of them, help some of them out with whatever limited knowledge I've got. But if I could just talk to startups and people in the ecosystem all day about the cool stuff that they're doing to try to change problems that I see and problems I didn't even know existed, that would be super special. So thank you for making that easier and allowing me to focus more time and energy on that Now we talked about creators, podcasts. Can you give me like the spectrum of who uses this? And you were talking a little bit about video too. So there's, I've only obviously used, I I don't, eventually I will use the video in some way, but I haven't created any video output. So obviously I've limited myself by not being on YouTube yet. Maybe (laughs) you'll be able to solve that problem because I won't need to use this video for YouTube. But talk to me about the types of creators that this is for, and if it's specifically for individual creators, or if like agencies, like would like marketing agencies be using Momento? Like, talk to me about that spectrum today, and maybe where that spectrum is like going.
1: I mentioned earlier that in today's world, media is driven by content. I think what's unique about 2023, more than any other year in the past, is that everybody has content. It's not just CNN that has content. It's not just I don't know. It's not just like big producers and celebrities. It's people in, you know, businesses, small businesses, family businesses, producing content. I've talked to a gym that is producing content but with their uh, their gym goers. In education, you've got tons of content. You know, there's this period of time where everything became digitized. COVID started turning everyone into content creators. So every industry now is dominated by content all the time. So now it's almost like, Everybody has content. Everybody has video. Everyone can record video as well. All right, so our, our users span from a small business, or even smaller, just like a, a mom or a dad creating some content about something they care about, whether it's nutrition or learning or sports, all the way up to large media companies, you know, thinking Canada, what's a large media company in Canada, CBC. There we go. I've been out of Canada for a few years. So I'm forgetting the names and think of the American names. They also have millions of hours of content. So the problem scales as the business scales. The problem doesn't go away. The content grows and you can never yeah. keep up with it. So the vision is that Memento is the central intelligence sitting under all your content. So whatever you need to do to be successful with it, whether it's repurposing it or looking for something in the past, or, oh, well, you know, I could probably cut a clip from my pitch with John three weeks ago and use it this month. That's the kind of work that professional teams do with humans. And now I think with AI, this kind of work's going to be done even better with humans, and it's going to be democratized. And one of the things AI does, I think it democratizes things like legal advice, health advice, marketing strategy advice, down to more people. And technology always does that. It brings intelligence, it brings automation, it brings efficiency down and broader to more people.
0: That's amazing. And I think we're talking about this at like a certain altitude. Maybe what would be good and I know visually probably the best way, but let's like walk through the actual steps of how Memento works if you're cool with it. Someone has a piece of content and so that's either like an existing, actually maybe just walk me through what types of content yeah. can be taken into Memento and from what yeah. sources?
1: So Memento ingests content from a few sources, whether it's your podcast RSS feed, your YouTube channel, we're doing a Twitch integration, or just uploading the video or audio directly. As soon as you upload something to Memento, it is processed with AI. What does that mean? It means we take the audio, we take the video, we transcribe it all into text, and we're running something called embeddings. It's an AI term, which means turning all that data into numbers. Computers ultimately can only function with numbers. So representing the video and the audio and the text all separately as their own sets of numbers allows us to now do intelligent things with them. The rest of the process depends on two things. One, as a creator, you would identify the key ideas of your content and use that to produce into new things. You'll use the key ideas to come up with a great title for YouTube. You use the key ideas to write a your description. You use the key ideas to create shorts and marketing assets that will spark curiosity for people, to come check things out. You think of a TV show or a movie, they always make a trailer, right? That's going through, find the key ideas, putting it together so that people watch the trailer and then they want to watch them. So once something's processed, we understand the content the way a human understands it because we're looking at it multimodally, audio, video, and text. We've processed it. We've organized it. We're showing you as the creator what you could now use. And then you're choosing how to use it. Either you're using our video editor, which looks very similar to Canva, so you can pull in elements, headlines, auto-captioning, make videos that you see from professional creators, but within a few minutes. Or you're using our chat assistant, which if you've used ChatGPT, it's quite similar. You ask it, hey, write me an article about a topic. But instead of getting a generic article, it's using your content. And what we do actually for some you know, bigger names, some of our enterprise clients, is we train custom AI profiles to speak like them and write like them. So then you're getting this AI that knows everything about the content. So the consumer is getting a version, a flavor of this AI where it knows everything about your content. You can ask it to suggest titles and write articles and, you know, create things that will help you grow the show on different platforms. And then as we go up market to the larger creators, we train custom models to allow them to do that at even a higher level of accuracy.
0: That's super cool. So the outputs, and actually like maybe I'll start with the thing that caught Mm -hmm. my attention. So for me, what drew me to Memento was your notion of moments. And so it took the long form content, which was my podcast, which I clearly talk in, I know what happened, but to go back after and determine optimally timed content, which for social is somewhere between 15 to 45 seconds, maybe 60 seconds on the long end to find logically where were 15 to 60 second things that seemed intelligent enough that we were discussing that people might want to hear. And Momento helped me siphon all of my information into what were classified as moments. And any given 45 or 60 minute podcast might return 12 to 20 some odd moments. And then I could, and it would pick a title for what it would recommend that moment to be. It would highlight the start and end of the text and I could adjust the title or generate a new title. And that allowed me, if nothing else, to take the 60 minutes of work that I put in doing what I want to do, which is just talking to you and allowed me to say, okay, how would you share this in a bunch of bite-sized content? And it did that very well. After that, and I was just using audio. So I assume just walk me through this because I haven't tried video yet, it would do the same thing for video. It would pick moments. And it would maybe find the video clips for those moments as well as the audio and the text. And then after that, the next step was doing something. And so transparently, I'd love to learn more because I haven't used it, honestly, as much as probably I should. I haven't used your written content component yet. And that's probably just my own lack of time and energy on it. So I'm excited to learn more. But I was using the video output. And so I don't upload video. And so what I was doing next was I was taking those bytes, the moments, and Memento had a bunch of amazing templates that allowed it to do text, transcripted text on it. And I could put a still, I could use a still image, or I could use AI to match it with a bunch of. I guess they're open source. I don't know. You can tell me how. But a bunch of video. A bunch of video that fit the theme of whatever was being talked about. And most of them were perfect. And if they weren't, you can change them. From there, I could take that and make it different formats. I could make it like a widescreen for LinkedIn, like tall for like a reel on Instagram. So that's the feature. Those are the features that drew me in. And hopefully that helps make it real for anyone that's got a podcast that's thinking like, how do I use this Memento stuff? Can you talk to me about because, like I said, it's been a few weeks. I'm about to dive probably back in this week to keep doing a bit more of my content and play a bit of catch up. What other amazing features am I looking forward to when I jump in later this week? That you know may have been updates and what sort of where are you going? What other things are you looking to add in? If you're open to sharing totally. some of that,
1: I love that you, I love that you touched on that that AI stock media feature, taking something that was audio only and using AI to identify the key uh, imagery that would work. And then we layer that in together so now your clips don't just become text and audio waves. You actually have some visuals to capture the audience's attention. I love it. One of the the sides of Memento that is more text-focused that we haven't talked about is that chat assistant. So you take your episode, potentially the one we're doing right now, and you pump it through Memento. You haven't really published it yet. You're going to ask Memento to write five different titles you could use. Then you might say, you know... Make sure David's name is at the beginning or make sure it says Mike and David's conversation and finish off my, my example. That's the power of using ChatGPT as your assistant for your own content. Then you can say, well, I need to write some show notes and I want to break down the show notes by timestamp because I want to help people know what's in this episode. Something that takes a few hours. You use the chat assistant. Okay, hey, can you write this out for me? It says, yes, you got your stuff. And then maybe you're starting a blog and you have the Pitch Please blog where you're talking about like lessons learned from each entrepreneur. And you each startup conversation. And that's again where the chat assistant comes in. It can help you get that done.
0: On the so, so actually, just to yeah. pause there. So actually, right now I've been pulling in to Memento after I release mm-hmm. my episodes. And so probably to get the most mileage out of Memento, I should take my edits before they publish, because I'm always running like yes. a couple weeks ahead. And I should run that through Momento and actually help me write my show notes. And I can probably, like, I've got, you've probably seen, I've got like a format and a style, but I can use Momento plus that style to probably bring them together and get some of that work expedited. Not all of it, because I still like want to have my style on how I've like formatted it or have a little bit about, or maybe will Memento learn that output format that it I have? Could. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. So, like, actually, change yeah, yeah. my own. World. And most, I'm going to now use Memento yeah, pre-publishing. Most of our
1: creators, most of the teams do use it pre-publishing. We do pull from different sources like okay. YouTube and your podcast. That's more to help you with your back catalog. Yeah. It does tend to make the most sense to upload the content to Memento first so that you don't just help with the distribution and marketing work. You can actually have it help you with the publishing work as well.
0: Okay. You probably just saved me a whole bunch of time. Thank the you. The
1: other side of Memento that could be helpful for people to know about is the social media management. Managing your content and your accounts across five or six different platforms is another one of the time sinks that creators face. It's the opening every single app. It's the moving the video file from your computer to your phone and posting. It's the writing the captions and maybe the hashtags and the titles and maybe scheduling it and doing a lot of work. So we built a social media manager into Memento. It integrates with all the social platforms. It will use AI to generate captions and hashtags for the post, so you don't have to spend time coming up with something for that. They're SEO-optimized, so they help with search results as you're putting stuff on YouTube Shorts primarily. And then there's built-in scheduling, so you can schedule stuff out. Ideally, the entire workflow from what to pick, how to make a look, and where to distribute it to and when to distribute it is end-to-end available memento, so that you're able to do that flow five, six, seven times per episode, and have time to do it. That helps enable that growth that we're helping creators achieve.
0: And does it allow me to schedule content not built through Memento in there? Not well? yet,
1: but I think that's the next step for us.
0: Okay. okay. So like, I might actually use this in conjunction because some of the steps you just talked about. I obviously have, because I'm posting out like my podcasts, I've got a bunch of different things that I do myself on LinkedIn. And like I have a lot of, thoughts that require some time and then I write them out and then like I get ahead of myself Where if I was posting as much as I'm having these thoughts like people would definitely unfollow me so I have to like kind of pace the release a little bit and so right now I'm doing that in one tool I'll give them a shout out simplified I'm using a tool called simplified but in tandem to simplified <clears throat> you're saying instead of downloading all of the files into folders and then like remembering which one I've already scheduled versus not, I should just do this all in memento, which you know what, whatever time we're spending on this podcast tonight, I think I'm going to save this amount of time, probably within the next one or two episodes I publish (laughs) out. Just on the things I'm learning real time in here. And it just shows like, there's amazing features of these tools and you guys are moving fast. Like I know, Some of these things are coming like hot every week I log in to something new. So I know I I knew of three weeks of not being in the tool, like a bunch of things would have changed. And so it's really cool to learn some of that and get best practices. I'm
1: glad to hear that. And I'll give you one more, like a cherry on top for that. We integrate all the analytics from the platforms back into Memento. So all the analytics are coming back to Memento. You can see that in Momento, And we also use that to help inform what the next best clip will be for you. So every time you're on Memento, it's constantly learning. So you're getting
0: truly... In- so it's better to stay yes. in the workflow yes. because it'll actually Exactly. It That's the thing
1: it. with AI is the more reinforcement you can give it, the more data you can suggest to it, the more it truly becomes your personal assistant.
0: Got it. I know where I think you make money, but where do you guys make money in the process?
1: We charge for the processing of the episode, and then we make everything else on the... So you get four episodes per month that you can run through Memento, and they renew every month. We currently charge around $35 a month. And after that, everything's unlimited. So no limit on the number of clips you produce, no limit on the social accounts you can connect, no limit on how much text you can write using the chat assistant, because we don't want to limit your growth on the output. And most of our cost is on the input. So that's how we do our pricing at the moment. Subject change in case this episode is being listened to in the
0: future. Yeah, it's fair. It's always like things change and move quickly. What's the hardest part of this? Like, you, this is, I guess, for you and your brothers, this is technically your first, other than that one you had the Canadian one that was like a bit of hardware based. I forget that Mingo, Mingo, you called it Mingo. Good memory, right? Other than Mingo, this is really like one of your first bigger startups. And so, You clearly chose a big category alongside AI, which is still super fresh, meaty topic. What's been the hardest part so far? Like what what's challenging and if you can share, you know, maybe some advice of what you're learning along this journey?
1: For us being in the media content space, one of the hardest parts has been trying to meet the needs of our users, given that the thing we're helping people work on is something very personal to either personal to them individually or personal to their brand. So the standard that we have to meet for creative content is quite high. And I think it's easy as a startup to feel like you're drowning under all the different user requests, the things people need, feeling the worry and the stress of how much you're going to need to build to try to meet a certain bar. Now, I think what we've learned along the way is one, there's a few things that people really need right now. And you want to as a startup you want to find those things that once you have them nothing else matters. You know if you're in, if you're in the desert you need water. You want to find the water for your customers. What's that thing you can solve right away very very valuable. And then they end up creating this loop of feedback and information and insight. There's a, another pitfall startups go through often is they wait too long to release their product because they're trying to build the perfect product. The,
0: that's actually, and I don't want to cut you off, but like the amount of times I've heard that, and I like to call it the 80% mm-hmm. go. And so I just want to reiterate that. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I hate cutting people off. So I'm so sorry. But 80% go, this is like, David, I'm excited to hear your perspective, but this is like a thing. And people definitely overthink it. Like, even when they think they're not overthinking it. Uh- they're overthinking it because they're like, well, what if something goes wrong? No one will use us ever again. Okay. Unpause. Back to you. You're 100% 100 100 right.
1: The thing is there's a 99% chance whatever you launch will not be the right thing. The pricing you pick will probably be wrong. The product you build is probably missing some core ideas. And maybe the whole entire idea was good, but the idea you need to be a successful startup or successful business is the great one. And Oftentimes that first thing you launch, if not all the time, is just a stepping stone towards what's actually the big pain point. Because once you launch, you get a few things. You start getting users. You start getting feedback. You start seeing more of your competitors because you're spending less time building and more time trying to go to market. And that kind of leads me to another learning. It's kind of related to what we're talking about here is startups often spend a lot of time building then trying to distribute. But startups need to spend as much time distributing as they do building. It should be these parallel processes because that's another way you kind of circumvent the issue of building something people don't need. So much, if not everything we build today is something a user has requested at some point of time, which means we know we're building something people need. The worst thing a startup can ever do is build that nobody needs. And unfortunately, a lot of times that's what happens. Just learning to be very customer obsessed, learning to be in the market. Time in the market beats timing the market. Like common financial advice, I think for startups yeah. it's the same thing,
0: and when you do that, you i mean as long as the as long as the users are patient, hopefully, they will come to love what you're doing more and become advocates too, right? Most people are more understanding than we probably give them credit for. There's a lot of non understanding people out there, <laughs> for sure. But if you're solving a problem that really isn't being solved elsewhere, the reality is like, okay, then go do whatever you were doing before because clearly you came here for a reason because we're solving some problem. Now, it may not be every problem of yours. We will get there. But the alternative is nothing, possibly, or maybe a competitor, which we can talk about that in a second too. But I love that. Just go because you you need to spend... I'm going to try to recapture what you just said, but you need to spend just as much time trying to market and amplify your product as you do building your... Is that sort of like a good punchline? So. Okay. Mo- Momento is going to pick that I out. sure right?
1: will. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> this episode is getting into um, Momento right after.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're going to agree to the back end, like triple tweet, Chet. What are all the hot points? It's like AI plus manual David <laughs> intervention. I love it. Competitors in this space... You don't have to name them, but like, is this like a hot space? I think I even brought someone recently that's doing something very similar. There's nuances between what you're both doing, but like who, who or how many competitors are in this space? Is it busy? Is it still like, there's like a few that are really breaking through. What's your thoughts on that? And how are you guys thinking of, you don't have to give away all your secrets, but how are you thinking about competition? I guess generally. Your Somebody
1: taught me once a few years ago that if there's no competitors in your space, it's probably not a good space. You know, you can't be the first person yeah. who thought of something. And if you are, you're probably insanely you know, very lucky or very smart. So yeah, there's definitely competitors in parts of what we do. And I think as a side note relevant to where we are today in 2023, when it comes to AI, if your biggest competitor isn't human labor, it's probably not the right AI idea. Uh, it's probably just a feature of some other product if it's not truly something that can help save people time or help them do their jobs a stepwise function better there are competitors that do automatic clipping that try to find the best clips there are competitors that try to write a bunch of stuff about your show now, there are competitors that do social media management there are competitors that will help you create video we are focused first and foremost on quality and i think that's when we think about competition there are always going to be competitors we're focused on picking the best moments the best experience, having the best creative control over the content, and the streamlined effect. So even though we have competitors in different parts of the product, I think we pride ourselves on being a really high-quality, end solution. And then also when it comes to the creative space, we've been in market longer than most of our competitors. And one thing we've learned is quality will always win. And I think that's a lesson that Apple has learned and taught very well, that quality always wins. So people are always going to build things with AI. They'll come up with ideas. They'll try to create things that are similar, but just focusing on the long-term quality is how we look at competition right now.
0: I love that. So you're going to really focus on building your remote around being the highest quality. So it might be comparables, but people are just not going to be able to get the same output quality and workflow quality and efficiency compared to where you guys are going next six months like what's in store for you maybe 12 you could share 12 but i know things move fast like what sort of like a milestone that you as a team collectively are working towards over the next six six to 12 months
1: we've been in market for about two months now so live as a product prior to that we were in beta there is such a huge flood of user requests
0: wait oh so was I a beta user
1: you know i'm gonna look in the data and find out
0: I, it wasn't oh, an
1: open beta, so I'm not sure if you could have got it in. But maybe you found a way in there. But okay. de- definitely in our first batch of users, you're definitely very early.
0: <laughs> very I'm, great. I'm just—I'll pretend. You, uh, if someone asks me, I'm just going to say beta. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, no one's fact yeah, checking us.
1: We're we're fairly young as a product. We spent a lot again back to that point of quality. We spent a lot of time in beta, almost like four to six months. Now you could say, hey, you spent a long time getting into market, but while we were in beta, we I spent a lot of time growing the. I was actively reaching out to creators to bring people in. So in a sense, we kind of were in market in a sense we weren't. So when we launched, people were really surprised by how comprehensive the product was for such an early product. But the truth of the matter is we were developing for a while. Also well before ChatGPT came out. You know, months before ChatGPT is when we started building this stuff. I think now we're in this maturity phase. There's a bunch of obvious features that we need to build to really be the solution we want to be for creators. There's some really exciting things happening with AI that we'd love to capitalize on and start investing in for the long term. And then there's some other markets that could really benefit from this technology. So our, my next job and my brother you know, leading the company will be figuring out when we feel like the product is ready just for purely distribution and the markets we're in with minimal iteration and deciding what the next best market to buy this technology will be for.
0: That's super cool. And you think some of, like some of those things will come to reality probably over the next six to twelve? Oh,
1: we update the product on a daily basis, and mm-hmm. I think big features launch on a weekly cadence for us as a startup. we we focus on quality, but we also develop very quickly. So I know users who hop in the product, you know, two weeks ago, and they come in, they're like, "Whoa, this looks completely different." Which I think, as a startup, you know, you launch and you just keep building, iterating, until you converge on that final
0: stage. Love it. Okay, one question that came to my mind and I know like I'm kind of really backtracking now, but technically momento needs an input though. So like if you don't have like video or audio content, this isn't really for you. Like could you input text content? Yeah. You could input text only content. An agency could use yeah. a brief about a business. To help create output content. Yeah. And is that like a space? So currently
1: when we train custom AI models for larger clients, we train on their text content primarily to process all their old articles, their writing style, and also the content they used to have. You've hit the nail on the head. You know, video and audio content's huge, but a lot of the content on the internet's written. And there's a lot of writing influences so many different parts of the business. So... One, being able to, to do something very similar to Memento for the text audience, like text input to text output. We currently we do audio-video input and do your text output, but going text to text is a potential space. And the other yeah. is, what if you are actually a creator who has nothing? You just have an idea. Yeah, How yeah. can we help you go from pre-channel, pre-brand, pre-RSS feed to getting to that step? And I think that's even earlier in the content lifecycle but I think there's some interesting things that could be done there as well.
0: That's awesome. Wow. I'm excited to actually get back to making more content now. I don't know. I've been away from using Memento for a few weeks and I'm excited to, to dive back in. It sounds like there's even going to be a bunch of more cool features than when I w- took a little vacation for the last few weeks. David, any closing thoughts from your side? Maybe any other final pieces of advice? You shared so much knowledge, so much advice. It's been like amazing for me to learn. I'm sure audience is going to learn a time. But any other thoughts from your side? I think only two. If you're listening to
1: this and you've always wanted to create, whether it's a podcast or articles or videos, get started, start doing it. There's a lot of tools out there to make that easier. AI makes it, AI reduces the barriers from going from your ideas to the actual final format. So I think it's exciting, and I hope more people will start sharing their thoughts and contributing to the content space. And then two, if you are looking for a tool that can help you write, produce video, help you analyze your content, please try Momento. Our URL is trymomento.ai. Whenever you send a support request, it comes straight to my brother and I. So if you ever want to talk to us, just go submit a support. I, I can confirm that. I can <laughs> and we, confirm love, that. we love feedback. I've had users send me looms. I send them back looms. Looms are short-recorded videos uh, i've had someone send me a loom and i just send them a loom back i'll hop on calls with people uh, we're very user obsessed so please try momento reach out and happy creating
0: that's amazing we'll make sure all this is linked in the show notes which hopefully momento will help us create the show notes and we'll create some inputs to make sure all of your ctas are there man i've had a blast dude you guys are so smart i love what you're doing thank you for joining in Next, it's funny because we're you know we focus on Canadian startups. David and his brother are Canadian, but hanging out down south of the border for a bit. But also have Canadian teams. We threw them a pass, threw them a little bit of a pass here. But when you're when you come visit home, make sure to let me know you're in town, and we can definitely catch up over a a real coffee. No, no AI coffee. We'll do real, like real coffee. I love. Sound good, man. Awesome. Thanks a lot again. That was David from Memento. We had a blast. Catch you guys on the next episode.
1: Uh You've been listening to the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch
0: Please. (laughs) Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Pitch Please, a Blumex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit Bluemex.io to join us on Discord.